uh, chapter 1, week 1, uh, we were introduced to this prophet named Jonah. Uh, and he was given this assignment or this call from God to go preach to the city of Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh, uh, the wickedness of Nineveh ha- had become known to God. They were a very violent and brutal city uh, towards their enemies. And so God was giving them an opportunity to get it right. And so he wanted Jonah to go preach to them. Well, Jonah did not like this assignment. He didn't like the call. And so Jonah decided to run away from the call of God and disobey. And so we read in chapter one where Jonah hitches a boat and decides to sail in the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. And as he's on the boat, we see where God is is going to orchestrate and put together some circumstances that get the attention of Jonah. Uh, While Jonah is on the boat, God sends this very violent storm uh, uh, to Jonah in this boat, and it's so violent that it's threatening to destroy the boat, which which eventually what happens is Jonah gets tossed overboard and gets to be left for dead in the sea. And so now Jonah is in the middle of the sea to be left for dead, which he would have died, but God uh, 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 commanded a large fish to come and swallow up Jonah. And so Jonah was swallowed up by this fish, and he was in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. And I know just that alone sounds very weird and it sounds very odd, but, but, but God is a very unconventional God and he will use things to get our attention. And in this case, I believe this is what got Jonah's attention. And so Jonah is in the belly of this fish or as a, a pit, as he would call it. And while he's in the belly of this fish, it is there that, 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 that is used to reposition him back towards God. Where Jonah was running from God, this being in the belly of this fish got him to turn back to God. And it was while he was in the belly of this fish that, that he, he, he recognized his need for God. He recognized that, that, that he was running from God, and that was a very bad uh, a situation, a bad position for him. And so he came to the understanding that, that, that God alone is our salvation. And while he's in the belly of this fish, and he cries out to God and declares that God alone is his salvation, it is at that moment that God commands this fish to vomit Jonah up on the shore. And what we really discover is that this fish vomiting Jonah up on the shore was actually another opportunity for Jonah to get it right. And we see where God gives Jonah another opportunity, another chance. How many of you are grateful for the God of second chances? God of second, and some of you are like, yeah, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth. Like, I'm grateful, God, that you've given me all those chances. And so he gives Jonah another opportunity, another chance to get it right. And again, God gives him the command, I need you to go to Nineveh and go preach to Nineveh. And Jonah says, I'll go. And Jonah goes. He goes to preach to Nineveh. And what happens when he goes to preach to Nineveh? We learned this last week when he preached to Nineveh the word of the Lord that says to turn from their evil with evilness, to turn from their wickedness, to turn from their sin, or they will be destroyed. And so Jonah gives this message to Nineveh, and lo and behold, Nineveh believes it. They believe the word of the Lord. And Nineveh, from the king all the way down to the animals, they repent of their sin. They fast, they mourn over their sin, and they turn to the Lord. 
And the Bible says at the end of chapter 3 that, that, that God had mercy on Nineveh. God did not destroy Nineveh, because Nineveh repented of their sin and turned to him. Now, we would hear that and probably think, man, that's a, that's a means for celebration. An entire city, an entire culture has repented of their sin, and they have turned to God. Yes, that is awesome. You would think Jonah would be celebrating, but that's not the case. As we'll read here in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah chapter 4, in our final week on this series, Let's look at Jonah's reaction to God showing mercy on Nineveh. Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 reads this way, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing the Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Let's stop right there. The title of today's message is The Problem with Grace. The Problem with Grace. Now, I know that statement alone just seems very wrong. I mean, you may be asked the question this morning, well, well, who would have a problem with grace? Grace, by definition, is the the unmerited, unearned favor of God, okay? Just to make sure we're all on the same page. That's what grace means. And so now I'm talking about the problem with grace. And now it makes sense why somebody would wonder, well, that's, that's a strange statement to make. Who would have a problem with grace? Well, clearly we see in these few verses we just read, Jonah had a problem with grace. Not as it relates to him and the grace that he's received, but as it relates to other people and the grace they receive. That's the problem Jonah has with grace. And if we can be honest in our time together this morning, there may be moments in our lives, in our past, in our present, or in our future that we too would have the same problem with grace. So what's the problem with grace? Point number one, write this down. I hope you're taking notes because if you don't take notes, chances are you'll forget it by two o'clock this afternoon or by game time at 325 p.m. Point number one, write this down. What's the problem with grace? Grace is offensive. Grace is offensive. And we know it's offensive because we see Jonah's reaction. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He got upset because God had shown Nineveh mercy. Now, if you remember the story of Nineveh, Nineveh, as I said earlier, they they had a very violent and brutal reputation towards their enemies. Well, as I said in week one, Nineveh was an enemy of Israel. 
which meant they were also enemies of Jonah. So these were Jonah's enemies. And Jonah is upset, and we see here in these few verses, this is the first time we see Jonah fully admit why he feels the way that he feels. This is the first time we see Jonah lay his cards out on the table. And it says that he became angry. And he says, God, isn't this what I told you the first time? Isn't this the very reason why I didn't want to go the first time you told me? Because I know you're a gracious God. I know you're a loving God. And I know you're slow to anger. And I know you're merciful. And I just had a feeling. I just had a feeling that there's a possibility Nineveh might repent of their sin and you may show them mercy. But God, I did not want you to show Nineveh mercy. I wanted you to show them your wrath. I wanted you to destroy them. But now that God has shown them mercy, Jonah's upset. Jonah's now all bent out of shape, and he starts to have a pity party to himself. He goes, man, it's just better that I just die. And I love God's, God's question to him, man. Jonah, like, is, is, should you really be this upset? Should you really be this angry, Jonah? Like, is it really right for you to be angry about this? And so let's, let's, let's examine this for a moment. This is the same guy who just few chapters before, as we've read over these past few weeks, this is the same guy who experienced great mercy and grace from God, this same God whom he disobeyed. This is the same guy who got another opportunity, another chance to get it right with God. God didn't just destroy him and smash him. God didn't just punish him, but God gave him another chance. This is the same guy, Jonah. And so I would diagnose this this morning as the, the fact that Jonah has a case of spiritual amnesia. Spiritual memory loss. Oh, how soon you forget, Jonah, the mercy that God has shown you. Oh, how soon you forget, Jonah, the grace that God has shown you. Now you're all upset because God is showing grace and mercy to your enemy. Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? And please keep in mind, when God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. But God is asking this for Jonah's sake. Like, Jonah, I need you to really think about this. Should you really be getting angry right now? Should you be really getting upset at what you just witnessed? And then we see Jonah, Jonah in his self kind of pity party that he's in. The Bible says that he goes out of the town, east of the town. He goes to find a place to sit, and it says he goes to watch the city, to see what would happen to the city. Now, I, I, I tend to believe that Jonah is, is, is going to watch the city because I, I don't think he's fully convinced that none of us truly changed. I think he's like, you know what? I'm going to go sit and watch the city because I don't know if they're really real. I don't know if they're saved for real, for real. Like, like, I don't know if they're really, really changed. I don't know if they've really, really repented. Hopefully there's a possibility that this, this zeal that they have will run out and they'll start to sin again. And maybe, just maybe, they'll experience the wrath of God. Like, this is what Jonah's really doing. 
He goes to sit to watch the city. It's like, let's, let's just give, give it some time. Watch God. You'll see. You'll see that they're not really real. You'll see that they don't really mean it. And as I read that passage, I, I, I thought that, man, you know, I've known Christians and believers in my day who've had that same type of attitude towards people who come into the faith. Like, are they really, really saved? We do this when, like, celebrities get saved. This happened just fairly recently in the past couple of years where a certain celebrity got, uh, uh, got born again, and he claimed his faith in Jesus. And, and, and some folks were excited about it, and other folks were like, eh, I don't really know. Let's just wait and see. Oh, time will tell if this is really real or not. Time will tell, and we'll see what, what, what kind of fruit he produces. We'll see if he's really legit with his salvation. And we sit back and watch, almost in some ways hoping that they fail, hoping that they mess up. Why? So we can say, you see, I knew it. I knew they weren't legit. I knew that they, what they were, they were experiencing was phony. I knew that wasn't real. Or maybe there's people in your life that have come to faith in Jesus. And b- 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 before you, you truly embraced them as a Christian, you kind of fell back for a moment and said, let's just wait and see. Because I'm not thoroughly convinced that they're really saved. I'm not thoroughly convinced that they're real in this salvation, that they're real in this walk with God. And so like Jonah, let's just sit and watch and see what happens. And time will tell if this is real or not. And so Jonah is sitting down watching the city. In verse 6, we'll continue reading here. It says, Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah, to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Man, Jonah, I'm getting sick of you. Keep talking about I wish you were dead. We get it. He said this like three times already. It would be, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? So again, Jonah is is being questioned by God. Jonah is being, uh, 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 in a sense, uh, uh, examined and tested by God here just to kind of reveal some things in his heart. He's saying, man, why are you still so upset? 
And the Bible says that he's sitting down in a, a, a miraculously, this leaf, God commands this leaf to kind of grow over him to give him shade, and Jonah's happy about that. And then the next day we read that God commands a worm to come eat up this, this, this plant, this leaf, and now the sun is beaming down on his head, and the, the, the heat, the wind uh, is, is very hot, and now Jonah is starting to have a pity party again, and God's like, are, are you upset about this plant, Jonah? He said, yes, I am, and it's better for me to die. He's like, Jonah, why do you have concern over this plant that you had nothing to do with? That was my plant. I made it grow. I destroyed it. Why are you so upset about the plant? And in the same way, why are you so upset at Nineveh? You didn't create Nineveh. I created them. That's my creation over there. Why are you so upset and concerned about Nineveh? There's 120,000 people that don't know their right hand from their left, meaning they're, they're like little children. They don't know what they're doing. And you're upset because I'm showing them mercy? You're upset because I'm showing them grace? It's because grace is offensive. Grace is offensive. And clearly Jonah has a problem with grace. Again, not the grace that he's received, but the grace that others have received. Which leads me to my second point this morning. Not only is grace offensive, but we've got to come to the realization and understanding that grace is for everyone. Say everyone. Grace is for everyone. And this is where it's going to get hard for us to, this is going to get a little awkward and uncomfortable for some of us this morning. Here's why. When we say grace is for everyone, that means literally everyone. That means for you, and that also means for your enemies. Grace is for those that are abused, and there's also grace for the abuser. Grace is for those who are oppressed, but it also means gr grace is those who are oppressors. There's grace for you, and there's grace for that person who caused you extreme pain. There's grace for the worst of the worst criminals on the face of the earth. There's grace for the worst terrorist groups that live on the face of the earth today. The same terrorist groups that caused the towers to collapse, there was grace for them too. Well, but Chris, that doesn't make sense. Look how awful they were. Look how evil they were. Chris, that person that caused me pain, they were so wicked and evil and vile. How can you tell me the same grace that is made available for me is the same grace that is made available for them? That's why people have a problem with grace. They sure would love to receive it, but when it comes to giving it, or when it comes for others to receive it, especially for people we don't deem deserve it. Oh, how soon we forget we didn't deserve it either. 
but grace is for everyone. Let me ask you a question. Not for you to answer right now, but for you to think within yourself. Are there people in your life right now whose salvation would disappoint you? Think about that question. Are there people in your life right now who if they got saved today, it would disappoint you? You say, well, Chris, that doesn't make sense. Of course, I wouldn't be disappointed. Well, let's think about this for a moment. Let me rephrase it. You would be disappointed that they were Christians. Why? Because then you'd have to embrace them as brothers and sisters. So let me ask that question again. Are there people in your life where you would be disappointed if they receive salvation? Because then it puts you in a position of saying, man, now I have to embrace you as brother. Now I have to embrace you as sister. And what if that means people you don't like? What if that means people that I can't stand? What if that means people who I deem my enemies? What if that means people who are different than I am? What if that means people who don't believe the same way that I do? What if that means people who just differ on, on, on things differently than I do? What if that means people who vote differently than me? What if that means people who see the world differently than me? What if that means somebody I don't like? Would it disappoint you to know that your enemy came to salvation because now you'd have to call them brother and sister? true question we need to ask them all of us is this, how would we fare? How would we make out if God thought the same way that we did? How would we fare in our lives if God had the same mentality that we do? Because the Bible says that we were enemies of God. Before you came to faith in Jesus, you were living foul, you were living reckless, you were in sin, you were wicked, you were evil, you were a liar, you were a cheat, you were all these different things, everything that was anti-God. You were an enemy of God. How would you fare if God saw you the same way you see your enemy? The reality is we probably wouldn't even be here today. We probably wouldn't even be alive today. But that's why I'm so grateful that God doesn't think like we do. I'm grateful that God doesn't see enemies the way that we see enemies. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was a demonstration of God's love for us. He was loving us before we were even lovable. He was loving you before you even got clean. He was loving you before you even got things right. He was loving you while you were still his enemy. Grace is for everyone. Grace is for you. It's for your best friend. 
Grace is for your worst enemy. Grace is for the least likely of people. But are there people that we look at in our lives today and we look at them and we think, I can't stand the sight of them. I can't stand to be near them. I would never want to call them brother. I would never want to call them sister. Look at their lives. Look at how filthy they're living. Look at the way they live sinfully. Look at the way they live their lives. Oh, I can't stand them. And there are people that we look at in our world, we look at them that way. We look at them as filthy people. We look at them as grotesque people. We look at them, we see them on TV. We see them out in the street. We see them everywhere. We're like, oh, no, no way. I don't want nothing to do with them. Can't stand them. Can't stand them. What kind of believers are we? What kind of Christians are we? What kind of Christ followers are we? I want to end with a story. Story I heard a number of years ago. It's a true story of a pastor. Um, and I don't know, all, I don't remember exactly all the details of the story, but I'm going to do my best to, to remember as much as I can. But it's, I believe it's just so relevant to where we're at, specifically us as a church and where I would like to be. But this pastor shared a story of a time that he, went, he got invited to go speak at a conference in Honolulu, Hawaii. And uh, it was an all-day conference thing into the night. And uh, the, the pastor was done with the conference. He went home to his hotel room, went to sleep. Well, because of the time difference, he woke up in the middle of the night like at 2.33 in the morning. Just couldn't sleep anymore. And he was so hungry. He was so hungry. And so this, this pastor, he decides to go find somewhere to eat, go find an open diner, 24-hour diner, somewhere to go eat some breakfast, go grab something. And there was nothing open. There was nothing open. And so he's kind of walking the streets, and he sees one little diner that is open, a hole-in-the-wall diner. He says, it looked disgusting. He said, I, I didn't really want to go in there, but it was all that was open. He says, I even go in there. He goes, I didn't even want to touch the menus. That's how gross it was. Anybody ever been to a restaurant where you didn't even want to touch the menus? And so he's, he's, he's kind of deciding what he wants to eat. He's kind of just kind of adjusting to being in this diner. It's really dirty. And, and there was this rather large man behind the counter named Harry. And Harry comes out from behind the counter. He goes, what do you want? He goes, well, I'll, get, I'll just take a coffee and a donut. So Harry pours him some coffee, wipes his hand on his apron, turns around on the counter, grabs a donut, and places it right in front of him. And so this pastor began to eat and drink his coffee. And right when he's about to finish, the door busts open. And in come these women, these, these ladies come in, and they were prostitutes. There's a number of them, and they come in, and they're being all loud, and they're telling jokes, and they're laughing, and, and just they're all around them. The diner's not even that big, and he's being, they're all around him, sitting around him and everything, and they're, they're talking dirty and all, all this kind of stuff you can imagine. And, and, and in the middle of their talking and yelling and laughing, one of the, uh, one of the ladies uh, just speaks up and says, hey, guess what? Tomorrow's my birthday. And all the girls turn and look at her, and they start laughing. They're like, Who cares? 
Who cares your birthday? Like, big deal. Like, you want us to throw you a party? You want me to buy you a gift? Like, why are you telling us it's your birthday? She goes, oh, it's just no big deal. I just, I just wanted you to know uh, that tomorrow was my birthday. That's all. I, I never even had a birthday party before. And they all just continued to laugh and move on with the conversation. Well, eventually, the ladies left. And the pastor who was overhearing the conversation, he asked Harry, the, the guy at the diner, he says, do these ladies come in here every night? And Harry said, yes, they do. He goes, now, the, the, the lady who was next to me who, who said that it was her birthday tomorrow, well, 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 does she come in here every night? And Harry said, yes, her name is Agnes. She comes in here every night. And the pastor said, well, I've got this idea. I would like to throw Agnes a birthday party. And a smile came upon Harry's face. He said, I like that idea. And he yells to the, to the back where his wife is cooking. He says, come on out here. This man wants to throw Agnes a birthday party. And, and, and his wife smiles and she goes, yes, I would love to throw Agnes a birthday party. He goes, so here's the plan. Tomorrow I'll, I'll go out and I'll, I'll go to a shop and I'll buy some decorations and, and I'll even buy her a birthday cake. And Harry said, no. Leave the birthday cake to us. We'll make her a cake. And so the pastor says, all right, well, I'll see you tomorrow. And so throughout the day, the pastor goes to a store. He picks up some decorations. And later that night at about 2.30 in the morning, he goes to the diner. And he goes to decorate early before Agnes and her friends show up. But when he goes into the diner, he realizes that, 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 that the wife must have told uh, all the other prostitutes on that street about the birthday party because the whole place was filled with prostitutes. <laughs> and so they decorate the diner. And, and, and they, they get the birthday cake. And three o'clock comes around, three in the morning comes around, and the door busts open. And the pastor had arranged for everybody to yell, surprise, happy birthday, Agnes. And so the, the ladies come in and Agnes comes in and they yell, surprise, happy birthday, Agnes. And they start singing happy birthday to Agnes. And while they're singing, they bring out the cake with the candle on it. And Agnes is in shock. Agnes, her, her mouth is wide open. She, she can barely stand. She, there's tears in her eyes, and she doesn't even know what to say. She can barely catch her breath, and they bring her the cake, and, and they start to see her start to cry. And so Harry, he starts to get uncomfortable. He's like, come on, Agnes, blow out your candle, and hurry up and cut the cake because we want some cake. And Agnes, they wait for her to blow out the candle, and Agnes stops. She blows out the candle. And she grabs the knife, getting ready to cut the cake, and then she puts the knife back down. She says, um, I hope you're not upset at me or anything. She says, but do you mind if I don't cut the cake? And they're like, oh, okay, Agnes. She goes, I've never had a birthday cake before. And, and I would love to take this home so I could just look at it for a while. And she goes, I just live a few minutes down the road. I'll, I'll just take it and I'll come right back, I promise. And they were like, Agnes, it's your birthday. Sure. And so she grabs the cake, just holding it, just staring at it. She's walking out the door and she goes outside the door and they're all just watching her, right? And she's just holding it like it's the most precious thing she'd ever seen. And everybody in the diner is kind of looking at her like, 
wow, you know, I'm, they don't even know what to say. And finally the pastor speaks up and he says, hey, let's all take hands and let's pray for Agnes. And so they all take hands and the pastor begins to pray for Agnes. Prays for her life. He prays that God would bless her. He prays that God would protect her. And he closes out the prayer. Harry goes up to the pastor. He goes, hey, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. He says, uh, you didn't tell me you were a preacher. What, what kind of church do you go to anyway? And the pastor says, well, uh, a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry said, no, you don't, because there ain't no church like that, because if there was, I would be glad to join it. Why do I share that story? Because I, I think the way we look at people, specifically who we would deem the least likely, especially when it comes to the church, like, I think we're good with each other. We like being here, maybe. We, we like being around each other. We like being around our brothers and sisters in the faith. We, we love to worship together. We, we love to come in here together. We love to gather together. We like to hang out together, especially people. We're, we're of the like mind. We think the same. We love the Lord together. All oh, that's great. I'm comfortable around that group. But when it comes to those on the outside, when it comes to those who we feel would want nothing to do with God, when it comes to those who clearly are living a life that is anti-God. Maybe someone or some people we would deem as enemies. Do we look at them with the same lens that God does? Do we look at them and say, hey, they are just as deserving as the same grace that I've received? They're just as deserving. Do we look at them the same way that God does? And my question to us in regards to this story and in regards to the text is, man, what kind of church are we? What kind of church are we? See, Jonah, this prophet, he had God's word. But Jonah didn't have God's heart. He had the word. He knew what God wanted him to do, but he didn't yet have his heart. He didn't see Nineveh the way that God saw Nineveh. And I don't know about you, but I want to rise church to be a church that has the same heart that God has for other people. I want to be the type of church that has God's heart for the enemy, that has God's heart for the least likely. Because the reality for us is this. We cannot be people who receive God's grace and don't give it. We can't be that type of person. We can't be that type of church. We love to receive God's grace we love the mercy that he's shown us, but when it comes to other people, we just don't feel the same way. 
we just don't feel the same. What kind of church are we? What kind of church are we? Jonah clearly had a problem with grace. Jonah clearly didn't see Nineveh the same way that God saw Nineveh. Do you see people who are least likely? Do you see people that you don't like, your enemies, and so on and so forth? Do you see them the same way God does? Would we prefer that they receive God's wrath over God's mercy? Where do we land? Where do we land in that? I don't know about you, but the same grace that I've received is the same grace I would like to give out. That's the people that I know. That's the people that I come in contact with. That's the people who I don't know. That's the people I disagree with. People I don't see eye to eye with. People across the room, across the table that I don't agree with. Like, do I see them the same way that God does? The grace that I've been given, do I distribute the same amount of grace.